1: A right to bear arms. What were the founders thinking? Gerald Peterson is the author, and Gerald joins us now on Ex Libris on Air. Hello, Gerald. Hello. uh, Thank you for having me. Great to have you with us. Such a timely book with all the lots of lots in the news about the Second Amendment recently, uh, and that probably is not going to let up. You say this is uh, this book is an inquiry into the historical derivation and meaning of the Second Amendment. And of course, you know, there's a lot of preconceived notions out there from pro-gun, anti-gun, but uh, what was the genesis? What was the impetus to write this book?
2: Uh, Basically, uh, two reasons. Uh, One is my interest in American history, uh, especially the founding era, as it relates to the constitution but in in, uh, regarding the second amendment directly um, i had many questions so many people interpret the second amendment one way but when i read it it seems to read something else so i wonder why was the second amendment written the way it was Uh, that started me going and then it just one question led to another what role did the states play in developing the Second Amendment, and then all of a sudden you see, "Ooh, I think the Second Amendment is more about the states than the individual people mm-hmm. uh, Then you have the matter of natural rights and how the uh, some pro gun people say guns are needed to protect our natural rights uh John Locke uh, referred to natural rights as life, liberty, and property. Thomas Jefferson threw in the pursuit of happiness, uh, other people, and I suggest the possibility that firearms can endanger our natural rights. Uh, then I got into the idea, uh, raising the question, well, what responsibilities do the, does the government have and what responsibilities do the people have in protecting and preserving our natural rights? uh... And, and there's a long way you can go into that uh, uh... and then i got into the question about the supreme court uh... did their decisions change over the years and how did they change and uh... the answer very simply is they did change the, the two most recent uh... decisions by the supreme court are a total hundred and eighty degree turnaround from earlier decisions uh... so Answering these questions was really my motivation for uh, writing this book, and uh, the answers that I found uh, seem to be contrary to a lot of the current thinking about the amendment.
1: Well, that goes back to most people today don't understand original intent, and that's what you have found, I guess, original intent of the founders.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. You had fears galore of that time period uh, of uh, standing armies, uh, the people felt that uh, any government, no matter how noble it may have been in the beginning, if it had a standing army, especially in peacetime, it would lead to tyranny. So your states would have militias uh, to be the first line of defense. That way, the national government would not have to have a standing army. Uh, at, but in order for the state to maintain a militia, its people had to be able to bear arms and, in order to be members of those militias. So here is the connection between militias, the right to bear arms, uh, protection of the states. Uh, the other fear uh, of the time was that uh, uh, a too powerful government could wipe out state sovereignty um after all the framers put into the uh, uh constitution the power of congress to call up the militias to national service uh and to regulate uh, certain uh operations and, and and maintenances of the militias um uh, and you couple that along with the power given to the, the government of raising an army uh the power to tax and all of a sudden your anti-federalists are thinking hey this government could be way too powerful and we could see the disappearance of our states so they wanted a militia they wanted the people of each state to have the right to bear arms so that they could uh, one provide the first line of defense and two to provide protection against a too powerful government
1: Well, we can see their uh, concern and their anxiety because today we have a very, very big and strong and overpowering federal government, which is trying to tell the states what to do. So it's very clear what the founders had in mind. But most people don't understand that first phrase, and that's what you're talking about, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state comma the right to bear arms shall not be infringed we all know about that right to bear arms shall not be infringed with that first part most people ninety five percent of the people probably don't know what that phrase means
2: no i don't think they do they don't know the connection uh... they don't know the history uh... and these are things that they need to learn uh... It's sad to me that the people have turned away from our founding era principles, uh, our history, and our heritage. They they go by ideology today more than anything else.
1: Right, and it's so important to know history, and especially in our case to know the Constitution and the context in which it was formed and the Bill of Rights in which it was formed. It, it all makes much more sense then, and that's what your yes. book is helping us to do. Absolutely. I hope so. Right. So as you see this big debate over guns in society, uh, how would you approach this issue of firearms?
2: Oh, boy, you're walking a tightrope over the Grand Canyon, basically. Uh, One thing I do not mention in my book, you will not find it in my book, and that's two words, gun control. All you have to do is say those two words and you've got people's hackles raised, uh, they're ready to go to battle. I, I, I want to talk about the history of firearms in our society, uh, public safety, the concept, uh, of, of the government's responsibility to protect the people. Now, here's a whole thing going back Uh, And I try to make these points in in my book. Uh, We go back to John Locke. He was a 17th century political philosopher. He wrote about the state of nature, which is a a condition with no government. Uh, He wrote of natural laws and natural rights. Again, those natural rights of life, liberty, and property. Uh, Unlimited liberty, but that also meant for good or bad. In a state of nature there is no governing authority, so there's no higher authority to adjudicate differences. There's no governing authority that protect the people. So it's constant danger. Uh, first priority in a state of nature is self preservation, unlimited self preservation. No one's there to protect you, so you do whatever you need to do to protect yourself. So People move in to a society, uh, a societal compact where the government now will protect the people. They will give up a little bit of that unlimited liberty. The government takes over the responsibility for protecting the people. And now self-preservation is a little bit more limited. Now, and and, and another uh, major name from uh, that period of time, uh, William Blackstone, who was an English uh, legal uh, writer and expert, uh, wrote of the limitations on self-defense. He pointed out that now, in a societal compact, the first thing you do if you perceive danger is you go to the government and seek their protection. If they're not there, the next thing you do is try to avoid that danger. If that doesn't work, then you fall back on self-defense, but only to the degree of the perceived danger. So it's a much more limited concept than in a state of nature. And if you, if you look at today and certain states, uh that have the stand your ground uh, uh laws those are totally out of sync with the people's understanding of self defense back in our founding era it just it just doesn't they don't equate at all uh so uh, these are other things we have to understand where where we're going today uh, uh it's, it's so out of sync with our right. founding era
1: Well, and it's difficult to understand unless you really dig into the history. That's why books like yours are so important, because when you hear that phrase, gun control, that, of course, is just a powder keg today. But back then, Mm -hmm. as I understand, in my studying that era, is that gun control meant everybody had a gun, and you had to have a gun. It was required that you had a
3: gun.
2: Well, well, uh, uh, yes and no. Um, and, and you look at the most communities at that in that time had uh, uh, rules and regulations against discharging a firearm within the uh, city limits where you needed a gun was on the frontier. People who were moving into the frontier or living by the frontier, they were away from that government protection. So absolutely, they had to have firearms. Absolutely. Uh, there, there was just no doubt about it, until the government would catch up to them. Then you come into a more controlled situation. Uh, what was happening also, uh, leading up to the American Revolution, of course, there were all kinds of problems with the uh, British government, uh, who had a massive number of troops, uh, in the colonies. Uh, originally, they were there to protect the colonies, but after uh, all kinds of problems, we of course had the Boston Massacre, we had uh, tax revolts, we had all kinds of things going on, the British troops suddenly became occupiers. They were no longer there to protect the people. And when the First Continental Congress met, uh, they were getting their rules together. Patrick Henry made a speech, and part of his speech, he said, we are now in a state of nature. Bingo. There you are. That set the tone for the whole American Revolution. Now, the people were gathering up guns to become members of those militias to stand up against the British. They were not being protected anymore by the British Army. Uh, They were, in in effect, endangered by the British Army. Now you have the growth of your militias and the people bearing arms to uh, be a part of those militias.
1: Well, it's a fascinating history. It obviously applies to us directly today, and there's a huge debate over Gun control. There's such a difference of opinion uh, from right to left on that. So, do you have any view of this, of where this is going, where this is going to end up, with all your research? I I, I am very worried because
2: with people, I I have talked. Well, I have talked with uh, uh, police officers, and they just cannot understand this big proliferation of firearms in, in our society at all. They they don't go along with that at all. But as long as people are following ideology, rather than trying to understand what the Second Amendment was all about, uh, I, I, I just see more and more firearms in, uh, in society, and I see more gun violence as a part of it. We've got to start thinking in in terms of the responsibility of government to protect the people and the responsibility of the people to support the government in this endeavor. Uh, When you look at the two most recent cases uh, of the Supreme Court, Heller and McDonald, it's almost like they took away some of the ability of municipalities and states to protect the people in those decisions uh... so i'm i'm quite worried about the direction we're going uh... uh... i would hope that people would read my book and say Oh, wait a minute maybe we're getting a little out of control here as far as firearms Uh, you know, maybe there's a uh, a legitimate place for firearms here and there, but not to the extent that
1: uh, we seem to be pushing it today. We've been listening to Gerald Peterson. He's the author of his book, A Right to Bear Arms. What were the founders thinking? Gerald, tell us how to get your book.
2: Uh, You can get it online at uh, www.barnesandnoble.com. Uh, you can get it at www.amazon.com.
1: Well, thank you so much, Gerald, for being with us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you for having me.
0: Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
4: Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live. Every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management the holistic approach how the spirit mind and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness how emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book dr devette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent Live, every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegelov for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage naturespiritspeak.com If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on Toginet.com.
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Today on Ex Libris, we'll be visiting with author Kylie Ray to discuss the book. It's not who I am. Welcome, Kylie.
3: Welcome. How are you?
0: Very good. Uh this is a recap from the back of the cover of your book. I, I noticed something that was kind of intriguing but sad at the same time. It says you have no no recollection of your earliest childhood memories when you're around 4 years old. Is that correct? That's
3: right. That's right. Yes, yes. I don't I don't remember anything earlier than that at all.
0: And yes. you 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 grew up on a I would call it a ranch in Texas. It's called a ranch. What's it called in Australia? Uh
3: well, it's called a mixed farm. It's um um uh, basically, wheat well, cropping and, 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 and sheep and, and, and a few cattle and pigs and stuff like that. But we actually call them a farm over here. A
0: farm. Yeah. And how, how many acres would that farm be?
3: Uh, around about
0: 5,500 acres. Oh, my goodness. 5,500 acres? thousand acres—that's yes. That's a lot of dirt.
3: But over here, it's probably around about an average average size farm.
0: Well, let me ask you this question, and and one thing I saw also in the the prelude to the book, a very universal phrase and statement that I think works everywhere. It says, friends are the people who stay with you no matter what. Friends are the people who say, it matters not who you were, it's who you are that counts. And friends are those people who just are always there for you. I like that phrase. Yes.
3: Yeah, well, I've i found that to be very true after um after, after what I went through. Yes. Um. Yes. And, and it is it is those people who are, who are who who, who basically are still there for me. Yes. But, um. Well, in any um, in any sort of sense that um you kind of find out who your friends are.
0: Yes, and my understanding is that you started life, I guess, adopted. Is that correct? With a family that you became associated with.
3: That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, up until I was probably 11 or 12, I didn't realize I was adopted. But um, yeah, not that it made any difference. But uh, yes, I was, I was adopted. I have since, well, I'll put it this way, my biological sisters have since found me. And my eldest sister, my eldest biological sister was uh, the one responsible for me actually getting on and on and doing what i had done. Because where I live is, is, is kind of in the middle of a rural area and it's... Um, can I say, very redneckish. And um, I had to go to Sydney to do mostly all my transition, and I didn't know no one there other than other band, my sister. So um, she's been very helpful in my, um, in my process.
0: Amazing. Well, how did you come to write this book? I understand you didn't set out to actually compose a book or put a book together, but it just kind of evolved.
3: Well, that's right. I mean, I actually did start out as, as purely therapy, um, uh, writing stuff down helps, helps um, sort your mind out to a certain extent and I got through and I sort of was kind of about halfway, three quarters of the way through it and I actually got someone to read it for me one of my friends to read it and they suggested that I um, turn it into a book and that's kind of how it got, how, how it came about
0: What is the, uh, the one thing you think your readers may get from this, this particular story of your life?
3: Um, I, I, I like it that, um, look, you can see a lot of people with uh, what seems like happy smiles and things on their face, but behind the smile there's a lot of um, angst and, um, and um, um, black, you're in a black space. Yes. I just like people to realise that um, it's, you never judge a book by its colour. Uh, until you read either a book or that person completely, you never really do know them.
0: That's certainly so, a universal. Yeah,
3: if if, uh, if if there's more understanding of of uh, of people like like myself and people in the same situation, look if it helps one person overcome any hurdles that they may feel they have through through people not uh, how do I say it? People being a bit rude and and recognition, redneckish. Um, all I all I had. If it helps them, that's all, all I can ask for, basically.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about your journey.
3: Um, well, as I said, I mean, I always knew from a, from a very early age that, that I just wasn't the person who, who I appeared to be. Uh, it was very hard. I, I did mention somewhere in the book that um, I got caught out by my, by my father one day uh, trying on one of my sister's dresses. And for lots of years, right up until I was, um, well, more or less in my 50s, I did think that there was something wrong with me psychologically. It wasn't until later on, until I was about six years later, that I actually started the transition. That I found out that um, what I was feeling was completely normal. Um, yeah, I mean, I I spent a lot of my youth probably wasted purely because while I was working, it was it, it was fine. You don't you don't think about those things. You get involved in your work when you're home. A lot of spare time, and all these issues come back. For a lot of time, for a lot of years, I didn't think I could do anything about it. So, I mean, there were times where I kind of thought that I'd end the whole thing. But that never happened. I had a couple of guarding angels, I suppose, that um, wasn't my wasn't my turn. And, um, yeah, it was a hard, hard slog, but, um, well, I'm in there now. So, I mean, if I can help any way, any, look, person in my position, Parents who um, who are not sure about what what their child is is feeling, mm-hmm. my book can help them. Even I'd, I'd be happy.
0: You mentioned the word transition. What exactly does that entail?
3: Um, well, in entail in Australia, I don't know about in America, but in Australia, if if you go into transition, you have to you have to be uh, diagnosed as as being gender dysphoria. Okay, um, which. You get put in the category of being trans. Now, I never did like that word, but um, that's 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 a part of how it is. Um, then you have to do a period in Australia of twelve months prior to any operation, like like anything on your face. You do a you do a trial period of twelve months living in the gender that that you prefer. I'd have to say that was the hardest because yes. you basically, well, in my case, you basically looked like a man dressed as a woman. Yes, and you get a lot. of, a lot of stairs and things, and of course you 've got to use um, the the appropriate toilets and stuff like that mm-hmm. but, once, but once having my face done that'll all all change you, you know what i mean look, look looks is deceiving right and um the, the looks done i mean i 'll have my face done first, and then you have to come back and because I had the i you're under under this um, counseling help and without without your counsellor say so um, there's a letter that the counselling gives. Without that letter, you can't have the final operation. And I think that's pretty much much the same anywhere in the world. And that's basically what it is. You you go on hormones and you visit your doctor regularly um, and then you start having um, laser hair removal on the Mm -hmm. face until you can't have that anymore because once the hairs are light, laser don't work. And then you end up very painful electrolysis. That's very painful, doing some of
0: that now. Are there any other books that, that really delve into the personal side of uh, what you've gone through that you have
3: seen? Um, I'm not sure. Look, I've, I've, I'm not sure, George. I've not, I've not sort of read any of those other books. Um, look, I guess there are. I've read, read a couple, but they don't sort of... Um, do into the life. They actually more or less on on the point of, of of the transitioning part of it, not the prior life. A lot of a lot of the girls that I met don't don't like to talk about their past. Well, the whole point is. I mean, I'm 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 60 years old now, and the whole point of the thing is, it, it was a part. And no matter how much I might not have liked it, it was my past. I can't I can't escape that. So, um, as I said, a lot of, lot of girls don't like talking talk about the past, but I, I don't have any issues with it. It was, it, was, it was what I was. I mean, I couldn't help it, and that's just how it is, basically.
0: And your memories of uh, being a child in, in the, on the farm, I guess, do you have a lot of, I guess, a wide variety of fun memories, uh, I would think, with the farm? I spent a lot of time on the farm when I was a child and loved it. Is that the same in Australia?
3: Yes, 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 extremely. Where I live now, I only live probably an hour and a half from basically from where I was brought up on the farm. I am um, I'm, I'm actually a country girl at heart. I lived in a in a in a, well, you would call it a little village. We call it a a regional city. It's 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 called Port Lincoln. It's about fourteen thousand people. Um, my daughter lives down now. I don't. I didn't like it because, it, well, I liked it when it was small, but it started getting bigger and bigger and bigger, so I moved. I moved 100, 100 kilometres, well, 110 kilometres away from that. And um, as I said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a country girl at heart, and um, I sort of would have gone back home, but there's our home now, is it's just sort of... <laughs> A little joke uh, to one horse town on the horse died years ago if you right. get my
0: yes yes uh, what was the most challenging part of writing this book was it going back into your early childhood or your present day what was uh, what was the most challenging part of this book
3: actually going back uh, rehashing over uh, over my past life especially not not so bad while i was i was sort of going to school the worst part me was when I become an adult and um, having to having to live with this. Look, look, it never goes away. You try to push things away. At one stage, I try to run away from it. But I mean, one knows that um, the problem is always there unless it's unless less it's fixed. So yeah, that was the hardest part. Going back through all that, and um, when I actually caught up and was actually more or less live, as in uh, I just wanted to in and have my face done. And um, that was a lot, lot easier. But yeah, going back, and especially over the period of where I mentioned about my dad and my mum, yeah, that was difficult.
0: Very difficult, yes.
3: I was just about to say, look, I would like to think my mum would have understood. I know for a fact my father wouldn't have. That's all I can say about that.
0: I understand. Are there any other significant events that you'd like to share with the listeners?
3: Um, only, only the two and a half years I spent in Sydney was very scary for me. As I said, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a country girl. I moved, I moved to Sydney, bought a house there. Uh, I took my dog, with <laughs> <Okay. laughs> leave my little doggy. So, so I took her over and um, that was the scariest part. I mean, I, as I said, I mean, uh, Sydney is a big place for me. It's a it huge is. place.
0: Yes, it is. And, uh, yeah,
3: and that was that was hard. That was hard. But uh, but the thing that kept kept me going was that that um, every day was one step closer to coming home, if, if that makes sense.
0: Yes. Thank you, Kylie, for visiting with us today. It's been a very enlightening and interesting story. And I want to mention again to our listeners, we've been visiting with Kylie Ray, author of the book, It's Not Who I Am. Kylie, thank you for
3: visiting with us. Oh, good. That's all right. Thank you very much. And for where, you, for where,
0: where can we obtain your book?
3: Um, It's, it's online, the website at... Uh, any good bookstore, Amazon, um, um, Ex Libris uh, website, Angus um, and Robertson, uh, as any good bookstore, and it's and, and it's available online.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing the story of your past, your present, and hopefully a bright future. Thank you, Kylie. Thank you. Now, for Ex Libris Publications, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
4: Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on TogiNet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1CentralOnTokenEd.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rock Star System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from the competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing bootcamps, camps, check out the website Craig D U S W A L T.com. So you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field. So more people come to you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Walt, Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on druggienet.com.
0: Welcome back to X Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings, this is Jay Douglas Barker, and today on X Libris On Air, we'll be visiting with Mike Sheerans to discuss his book, Apartment Model Trains to Examples. That's an interesting idea. Welcome, Mike. And where are you located?
5: Everett, Washington.
0: Everett, Washington. Okay. About and, and...
5: Uh, 30, 40 miles north of Seattle.
0: Very good. You are involved with model trains, but what other things are you involved in?
5: I've worked at Boeing. I've worked at Boeing since I was about 24. Yeah. I've been laid off three times, and I was a taxi driver, and it was a few odd jobs in between. layoffs.
0: Well, I understand yeah. your background. You grew up with the hobby of model trains, HO scale and N scale. Is that correct?
5: My dad my dad had HO scale. I uh, had, I got into the N scale.
0: Now, what is the difference between HO and N well, scale? Well, our
5: N scale is about half the size of HO. HO is uh, the normal trains. So, you know, you got the Lionel trains. So that's the big stuff. And okay. HO means half of O. N means, uh, I think N stands for 9 millimeters. 9 millimeters. That's the track. That's how the, the rails on the track are 9 millimeters.
0: Well, for our, our listeners and the readers, uh, the book yeah. follows your journey of actually creating an environment for yeah. The N size screen. Is that uh, my understanding? Oh, well,
5: yeah, just around my apartment, yeah.
0: So, N scale in the apartment. Yeah. Your book also has a lot of great photos. How did yeah. you come to write this book?
5: Well, actually, um, it was a website. There were two websites, and they're still there. It's um, just called apartment or free Model train tours. Like, the first one is the, just the original, and the other one is number two. And there's actually number three, but it's not an apartment now. It's a Trailer house.
0: Now, did did That's you all. did you launch the websites?
5: Yeah, they're on the web TV. Web TV. Web TV. Dot. Sometimes if you just type in like free model train tours, they come up, or even this book comes up. <laughs> I was just checking it. I didn't even, and I didn't even uh, pay. I didn't even try to be famous or anything. So
0: it just it just happened. You're a f-
5: yeah, and um, the book. I wish they had color photos. It doesn't. And I wanted a bigger book.
0: So you have uh, you have how many photos in the book? Would it would know, it be a hundred uh, or two hundred?
5: Could be something like two hundred.
0: Two hundred photos, and so, that kind of I guess uh, chronicles the uh, layout and design work you've done inside a yeah. small space.
5: Successions, yeah, yeah. Uh, trials and errors, mostly errors, but trials.
0: And and how long did it take you to put together the first layout that the you designed?
5: Um, the actual. Boards took about two weeks of Christmas vacation when I was, like, December to whatever the, the in between Christmas. That would be about a week. But it took about two weeks, the first one did, of boards. I did, like, you know, be kind of crafty and stuff.
0: Yes. It worked out. Now, now is it on, I didn't look at the photos closely, but is it... Constructed on a hard background like plywood, or how is it put together?
5: Just uh, on the first one was just uh, well, one by fours and one one by threes, one by tw- you know, wide enough for two tracks to go on, and a few wider boards, and uh, that's it.
0: <laughs> and and the length length of your configuration? Do you know how many feet that is? Yes.
5: The first apartment was like about twenty by twenty. Was it? Uh, with the kitchenette and everything, the bathroom, and all that stuff apartment was five hundred square feet or something like that it wasn't too big
0: <laughs> and you and your next project how big was that
5: that was about nine hundred that was about seven hundred square feet just uh now probably about thirty by twenty
0: really? that bigger so you you had some challenges i'm sure in putting that together in a small space
5: yeah um like I say the second time i uh, decided to put i have all these uh plastic container um like drawers you know, like, look like, at like file drawers that are, and I decided to stack everything on top of all that, so it wouldn't have to support, wouldn't have to make special support. And I have bookcases, and they have, they're all about five feet high. Are they? And that's about eye level, so that worked out the best.
0: Now, how d- how did you keep those from falling over, if I might ask a, kind of a silly question?
5: Trains? Oh, yeah. just everything stood up by itself, but the the trains on the boards, I would just put little pieces of styrofoam or popsicle sticks or something to a barrier. So if anything fell over, it wouldn't, wouldn't go anywhere.
0: Now, is it a single train configuration, or do you have multiple tracks, two, multiple trains?
5: Two tracks. I've always had double tracks, so I can run two trains. And then just, uh, you know, crossovers and stuff. Yards and whatever.
0: And have you done also some background sketching or painting to give it kind of a three-dimensional well,
5: look? No, not really. Um, yeah, some sketching of the, of the layout, maybe, but Not really painting. A painting. I just watch the TV shows with the painters. (laughs) Okay. And uh, you know, I get ideas that way. I don't really paint.
0: I I noticed that you have pretty intricate, I guess, designs or sketches in your book.
5: Yeah, those are after the fact. Every one of them. Somebody wanted to know. (laughs) That was from the website when somebody asked. Somebody emailed me and say, "How do you do this? How do you do that?" So I made sketches.
0: Yeah, it almost looks like an engineering sketch. Is that kind of thing in your background? Yeah, I have some
5: drafting. I drafting, have some okay. Drafting in a, to your degree, engineering.
0: I would think you'd have to, to to get it that detailed. It was pretty pretty spectacular what I saw.
5: Yeah, uh, maybe, but um, I never quite got into engineering because it um, was a community college, and I was supposed to transfer to UW, Wazoo, or Wazoo, uh, Washington State University, and then nothing transferred. So I would have had to take all my math, everything over again. I uh, forget it. A year later, got a job at Boeing.
0: That's not a bad place to <laughs> work, a, actually. I guess. Quality assurance. Yeah, I guess. Now, when you had to move, uh, how difficult was it to dismantle your displays and kind of get them re?
5: The first one was easy. First one was easy because I made it to be dis uh, dismantlable. Uh, in fact, the first one I got. I got evicted.
0: <laughs> oh, did you? Well, that's an easy way to get it out of there, right. I guess.
5: Well, that's what I hated about apartments. It's, mm-hmm. um, you, there's not very much parking, and people take any. That, that's one thing, and then managers change all the time, and the owners of apartments change all the time. And, they, and that was rough, because then they had to go find another apartment. I hadn't moved for 10 years.
0: So. Probably took a little bit of time to get that put together, I would think.
5: Well, I just ended up with something with another four square walls, basically. I couldn't really get anything fancy.
0: And, and, and is that your current current place that you have your trains, or have you moved again?
5: Nope. I moved again. That was 2000. Eviction was 2007 of August, and then I moved from, out of that, the second place, 2011. All right. That was the second month. That would be the second example. All right. The one with the most, uh, the biggest, expensive stuff.
0: <laughs> now, on the current uh, lodging, your current location, yeah. do you have a train configuration starting. there? I'm starting it. You're starting it, okay.
5: I did a different approach. I've always had Lionel trains too, and um, instead of just putting them on the floor all the time, I put them up on the high level, and I put the I'm doing the end scale above that. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite. I didn't take too many photos. Yeah, that's gonna. I don't know. It's gonna. It's not gonna be as uh, good as the first two. I don't think it's more. Not not so much scenery, just boards and cardboard. I use a lot of cardboard boxes now for the like the main boards.
0: Well, it's readily available.
5: Yeah, I I just do layers of that glued together, and it's a lot cheaper.
0: And you have some pictures of this on your website as well? Is that something you
5: can see? That would be the third third website, which is, it's just got the picture of the shack, my house, before and after, and that's all.
0: Well, are you planning to do uh, an addition to your apartment model trains instead of two examples, adding a third?
5: I don't know. Libras costs a lot of money, so I don't know.
0: Well, it costs, costs a little bit, but uh, think of the return. You might be a, I mean, a famous new, uh, yeah. engineer at some
5: point. Yeah, 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 maybe. It's, uh, the only reason I did it, like I said, because I thought Web TV was going to quit pretty soon, and the, the websites would just go, just disappear. Disappear, and, I didn't want to just have everything disappear.
0: Now are there any other books out in the marketplace that are similar to yours that uh, you know, show the, the hobbyists and show what they can accomplish?
5: The hobby, the hobby there's lots of books, but the, this I doubt it.
0: Nothing's quite like yours.
5: There's like N scale magazine and there's some other magazine of N scale, I forgot how they call it. And there's several there's several mile train magazines, you know. They have nice they have more you like more dedicated people than me, do mine a little at a time.
0: Well, it was very fascinating to see the, the, the way that you creatively, your train tracks going through your kitchen and through your living room and over the fireplace <laughs> yeah. and just about any place that you could think of inside the apartment. Yeah,
5: that first apartment was. I actually liked that one the best because I had a washing machine and all that stuff. The second apartment, when I got kicked out, I had nothing. I didn't have any of that.
0: Well, how long did it take you to put that first configuration together in the first of your samples?
5: Probably, probably a year to get it going around the living room. And then um another year, maybe half a year to, to branch out into the bedroom and around the bedroom and i had i thought I had photos of the bedroom but i didn't I didn't have all of the photos
0: and what's what's the key to creating a good site for the n scale trains i just you just do it
5: i just uh i think of uh walk around and think about it for a while you know look about how's you know kind of uh in my head think about how it could go and then usually the end product later is a simplified version, you might say. Because mm-hmm. as you start, getting, start making it, you go, well, this is going to be too complicated, and let's just simplify it down, you know.
0: Yeah, I noticed I noticed across your entry door you had created a bridge that was a yeah, drawbridge. Uh, drawbridge. Yeah. one by
5: 3 piece of lumber.
0: Is that something that you uh, use still in your current no. setup? No. Didn't have uh, to use Well, the it?
5: other apartment... I did. I had, like, a popsicle bridge, I called it. But it was just a lift out. It wasn't a hinge or anything. And I actually had to use two screws on each end to hold it down, because the wood would warp.
0: (laughs) Oh. (laughs)
5: Something else I found out about some of the wood would just warp on you, misalign everything. Second apartment? Yes. um, Almost all the pieces of wood, there were just glued, Elmer's glue.
0: And was that difficult to, to dismantle?
5: Not so bad, but it was a little bit difficult. Had to soggy, had to get it wet and soggy it up.
0: All right, what was the um, most challenging part of writing your book? Do you think?
5: Um, just doing it and sticking with it when, uh, legal, like, endless forms to fill out and mail back. You know, sign them, mail them back. Right. Um, and then
0: challenging. Stuff.
5: I mean, I'm not rich and.
0: I thought if you lived in the north, I thought if you lived in the northwest, you had to be just loaded. Money, that is.
5: I don't know. I mean, um, no, not loaded.
0: I'm just pulling on your chain, Mike.
5: I don't have a fancy house or nothing. Sure. Apartment.
0: <laughs> is there anything else about your hobby that you'd like to pass along?
5: Um, it's not the only thing I do, but it's just a side thing you might say.
0: Are you involved in outside activities because you're in the northwest by any chance?
5: Um, Somewhat, but I'm mostly just outside just means that I mow the lawn and I fix my house and things like that.
0: Doing stuff to make life easier for you.
5: Maintain, yeah. I mean, that's, I take walks, but that's just uh, on a nice day. Excellent. Or something. At, at Boeing, I probably walk them up, you know, a couple miles a day anyway because it's a lot of walking.
0: Well, that's good exercise, Absolutely. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting concept having a book yeah. about model trains and uh, two apartments and how you were able to not only enjoy your hobby but also make it available for others to enjoy. It's a it's a great concept.
5: I wish I didn't have to move each time. That's the actually I, re, I really wish I didn't have to tear them all apart. But that was part that's what kind of makes it hard to start a new one.
0: I think you so should right. get a sponsor and and get a warehouse and build a real big set and let folks yeah. come and visit it.
5: Maybe. That's an idea um, someday. I just don't know. I,
0: Perhaps you could co op with someone that's already got a business and add that as an attraction for them to come to, to solicit visitors, and it might be a yeah. payoff for both of you.
5: Yeah. One, one e one emailer guy asked me about that, and he did that. I don't know where he's at. Well, it's a great idea. A office or something.
0: Absolutely. Well, let me just wrap this up by saying we've been visiting with Mike Sheeran's Author yeah. of apartment model trains and two examples. Mike, thank you for visiting with me. And uh, okay. where can we obtain your book?
5: Sure, Amazon probably. Okay. Amazon for sure is the easiest way. I don't know if it's the cheapest. Um, and there's probably I've, when I type it in, just apartment model train. There's about ten or twelve sites that come up. So take your pick, I guess.
0: All right, very good. Well, we'll easy give folks the correct spelling of your last name.
5: Um, S C H. E E R
0: E N S. All right, Mike Shearens. Well, thank you for sharing this introduction to what promised to be a fun and entertaining read for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors.
5: Right here on Ex Libris On Air.